Yeah. Stranger danger is a lie. <laughs> said, said the not at all creepy guy in the van. committed to undermining the unthinking and reflexive ideology of American exceptionalism that has taken such robust and insidious root in the culture. American exceptionalism, that enduring belief that the United States of America is somehow unique among all the nations in the world and throughout history with regard to the long list of atrocities it has committed. That strange insistence that in all of human history and right up to this very moment, no other country, anywhere, anytime, is doing anything nearly as bad as the United States is doing right now, then, always, and forever. Newsflash, assholes! Humans are just humans, no matter the country. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah. Here we are. Lori's here, too. How are you doing, Lori? Totally fine. <laughs> totally fine. Today is Monday, July 19th, 2021. Been a couple of weeks since we've recorded. I've missed you, Abe. Yeah, it has been a while. I mean, there was the episode that you uploaded to make it look like we were busy, but this is like the first episode in July, one and it's us, almost over. One of us was busy. One of us did, in fact, put some time in. That episode obviously, pretty obviously, wasn't recently recorded. Yeah. <laughs> Some topical information. Also, in there. my understanding is that the system, the American government is exceptional, not the people, but people always seem to think that they're exceptional. They're just people. They're just, you know. This is what I'm getting at, Abe. Right. Thanks, but for, I pick- thought thanks for picking up when I was laying down. What I'm, I'm saying, I didn't know that, that it was misunderstood, because I always wonder why people got all huffy and puffy about American exceptionalism, but until I realized, oh, people think that they're exceptional themselves. Some schmuck from Iowa thinks he's exceptional more so than other people. Right, right, sure. And that's all obviously annoying. The thing that is bothering me lately is the precise reverse, which is that everywhere you look, there's this insistence that this country is somehow doing unnatural harms in a way that other countries don't do. Like, there's this the constant refrain is From America some. fucking sucks. Right. And that and that as though that is somehow unique. I mean, Canada's been to, in big trouble lately with their murders. I don't know what people are mad at. You're referring to the some school that was built on yes. a graveyard of native babies or something yes. like that. Yeah. Yeah, sure, that's a bummer. But like nobody I don't know. There's a there's a Part of it is the media that I consume, mainstream and liberal media, is NPR. just filled with people. And NPR NPR is just a constant refrain <laughs> of how completely shitty this country is. Now, this is in part what I wanted to do when I said that I wanted to do a July 4th special. I wanted to do a big takedown of all of the goofy ways in which people talk about how shitty this country is. And that was before I heard this clip that I'm about to play which was 
from July 2nd. So I heard it the day, I think, that we were getting on the road to leave to go to my dad's. We just got back from... Uh, well, we didn't just get back. We did not just get back. Been back for a week. We'll get to the particulars of our unfortunate situation in just a second. But I'm going to play this clip. It's just like a minute and a half. And every year, uh, as we'll hear, All Things Considered or Morning Edition, one of the NPR shows, plays a recording of their employees reading the Declaration of Independence. And they do that on or about July 4th. And this year they were going to do that, but they needed to apologize for that fact ahead of time. So here is the opening piece from NPR's reading of the Declaration of Independence from July 2nd. Sunday is July 4th, Independence Day, which is when this country commemorates the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. In it, 13 North American British colonies announced their separation from Great Britain. Every year for the past 32 years, Morning Edition has broadcast a reading of the Declaration of Independence by NPR staff. But after last summer's protests and our country attempting to confront its history, we want and need to be honest about the words in this document. It famously declares that all men are created equal, even though women, enslaved people, and indigenous Americans were not held as equal at the time. What follows is a long list of grievances and charges against King George III. The declaration was written largely by Thomas Jefferson and edited by the Continental Congress. Among the edits, the Congress deleted a reference to, quote, Scotch and foreign mercenaries. Turns out there were members of the Congress who were of Scottish descent. To win support from Southerners, the Congress removed criticism of the African slave trade. But a racist slur against Native Americans stayed in. You're going to hear those words today. The Declaration is a document with flaws and deeply ingrained hypocrisies. It also laid the foundation for our collective aspirations, our hopes for what this country could be. So in that spirit, here again is the Declaration of Independence as read by NPR staff. Stop it there. It's not so much the things that they said, but the things that they said despite having already said other things. And let me explain that by saying... It was written by Thomas Jefferson, right? He's a famous, infamous slaveholder, our our nation's founding philosopher, if you would like to call him that. He's he and Madison responsible for the overwhelming majority of the things that you would say you would be quote-unquote proud of when it comes to the founding of this country as far as the Constitution and the Declaration are concerned. Obviously a flawed individual. Uh, but in the Declaration, in, which, was, which was born out of compromise, right, which is what they're sort of saying there. They're saying that he wrote this document, and then it went before the Constitutional Congress, and then they had to decide amongst themselves. Competing interests and powers decided what could stay and what could go. And a reference to uh, negative discussion of the African slave trade was excised because of the objections of southern states, which by— like. You could use that moment to say Thomas Jefferson, even as a slaveholder, recognized at the time that that was not going to be something that was going to last. And it almost certainly tortured him in important ways. Did did that stop him from being a moral monster in his business and personal life? No, apparently it didn't. But he knew, and he wrote it down in the paper, and then it got – so like that's an interesting moment you could have where you're talking about how even though – 
they knew that what was going on was wrong. And Jefferson, like that's a moment where Jefferson reveals the fact that hypocrisy is good, right? That's where he says, look, I am a shithead, but we need to do better. And I'm going to put it in this doc. That doesn't invalidate the fucking thing. It in fact gives life to the fucking thing. Now, th- th- it mentions at the top that they've done this for 30 some odd years. It is the first time that they have added in some like, well, what hypocrites this part, what hypocrites that part. Like, right. Or- this is the first time that they've been honest about what the thing says and that they're just going to read it and revel in it, in it, but only in terms of it, uh, only in terms of framing it as being honest about what it actually says. As if somehow simply reading the words doesn't do justice, doesn't, it doesn't put it in enough context right. to give you a full picture of what it honestly says, which is absolute fucking nonsense. But so they they give two examples. One of them you brought up, which is uh, the part about uh, the southern states wanting no mention of slavery or at least n- nothing critical about uh, what they're into. Uh, and also something about the S- Scottish people or something because there were members that were of Scottish descent, right? So there weren't – obviously there weren't any – African slaves or Native Americans that they needed to win votes so they didn't have to take any consideration about them objecting to this or that, whereas that's not true for the southern states and the Scottish types, right? So, I mean, obviously, all of the changes that they made was so they could court the votes, right? They wouldn't have... Yeah, what do you... Like, I mean... And I know the cliche is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, but we've completely lost it. The cliche no longer exists <laughs> because if, like, if you were to go back and perfect the Declaration of Independence, we would not have a country now, right? right. So say what, and maybe that's what you want, right? Maybe, maybe that's the mistake that I'm making, which is this notion in my head that the nation state is, whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing, it is. It is right. But, but the, the way that we organize as human beings in this world is having nation states, right? Right. And if we're going to have nation states, I look around. The founding documents of this country are a pretty good foundation from which to build an equitable and equal society. Also, the the problem isn't the Declaration of Independence. Uh, it's the failure for the people who wrote it or were around there to live up to it, right? I mean, basically, it, it's almost kind of like an aspirational people. There will come a time where people will be this. We're not this now. But, like, the criticism should be about the people, right? But the declaration but people don't, itself they don't. They fine. don't want political documents born out of compromise and and nods to the fact that other people who you might disagree with have power. They just want a purely moralistic framing of history. They, right. they, it, it's a purely religious, like fundamentally religious mindset that tells you that you cannot speak about history in terms of compromises between equal powers right. or even unequal powers, right? Like that, but that, that's how, it's how life is. And you can play it all the way forward to today's politics where Joe Manchin is presented by a large portion of the left as being the same as a Republican right. or as being worse than a Republican because he refuses to fall in line and do whatever the prevailing winds say is the right thing in the, in the moment. Right. And like, fuck that. That's not how this works. This is a, a whole, like the way that society, like we live in a society, like right. you're supposed to compromise with other people. Nobody has all of the right answers. What, what, I, what I find frustrating or at least interesting, if not frustrating, is that people just assume that 
someone is on the take, right? The reason why a mansion or, you know, a Susan Collins the other, on the other side, the reason why they're not playing ball for their team is because of some moneyed interest. Sometimes people actually don't agree with the things that they're not voting for, right? Because, you know, it's a spectrum. It's not like an either or. You're on this team or on that team. There are enough things that you agree with on one side, and so you're mostly on that side, but there will come a time where you'll disagree. And it's fun. I mean, I guess I can see why it would be frustrating for people, but people always jump to the, oh, this person has moneyed interest telling them to not do A, B, and C. Sometimes that's true, but it's not always true. Right. Like, it's actually believe in, you know. I don't want to do the, like, flag waving because patriotism fucking weirds me out. It always has. <laughs> like, people, like, and it's, it's true that I see an American flag being, like, prominently displayed, and I'm like, eh, <laughs> this guy's probably kind of weird, right? Like that, I've always you, felt that way. You that's can not, tell. That's not. You, you make judgments about people that wave their flags. They can't just want to be. If you stick a flag on the back of your pickup truck and okay. ride around town yeah. like a maniac, yeah. Yeah. yes, I've always thought that was fucking weird, and that goes well back, well before the trumpeting started. Right. That is any like yeah. weird, just like the Osama bin Laden cheering college kids going out and cheering in the streets when we killed bin laden right like the worst like that's all super like and the usa number one chance like all that shit bums me out it's we super weird we just don't weird. have a very varied chance like all the other countries have chance and all we have is usa so it's to be fair it's because we haven't been creative enough to come up with a better one yeah i just don't i i hate the idea that we have seeded anything resembling Aspirate, even even aspirational pride in this country has been ceded to the absolute worst yes. right wingers uh, who exist in the discourse, and it's just such a bummer. I don't get it. I have this feeling that if you asked people a question, and maybe they do do polling on this, I don't know, but if you asked people, should the United States be a either the or a global power for the next 100 years, I think most people would be like, no, let's let China take, like, let's see, let's, no, let's you give think the Chinese. I, I, would, I would imagine if you pose that question in a way where no one is going to take that leadership role, basically, like, would you be fine if America was relegated to just being just one of the many countries that are out there? But I can't imagine anybody would be for China taking the lead or some other country taking right, the lead. Right, but there's no, but there's... Th you look at it in ter strictly in terms of reality. There's not. There is either going to be a global power, that is America, or it will be China. Well, then, I, like, if it's posed the, in that way, Germany. Who would? I guess they who, had a turn, and it wasn't good. What about like Canada or New Zealand? They're way too small. They're too the, small. The reality. But yeah, if 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 framed that way, I can't imagine anyone would. Why the hell would you want to say China? Like America, if you think America the devil, it's at least a devil you know. What the hell's going on over there? With their time zones and shit, like no, right? And I this and is it, better. If you have to is, pick, like you know. it, it, it is not just better. It is exactly what needs to be, right? Unless you think that there ought not be repre a representative republic with a strong foundation of democratic rule, and yeah, all of the caveats, right? All of the fact that we're actually run by fucking technologically insane corporate overlords who care for nothing except their bottom line and for expanding their own corporate and technological power and getting their fingers into our lives in ways that are unimaginable. A caveat all of that, it matters that we 
have a culture that is willing to stand up for itself. And there's this, I just get this sense from the, and I hate to talk about it in these terms, but from the elite sort of, you know, the NPR class. And that's what it, the, the NPR class, the CNN class, the people who are relatively well-informed, the people who write op-eds in the New York Times, it just feels like there's absolutely no belief in the idea that uh, this country is doing anything right ever. Uh, and it's, that's a dangerous way of framing things because it just leaves, it leaves so much room for people like uh, Ben Shapiro and Clay Travis and like just all the worst people to, to be absolutely uncritical of this country and come across as seeming much more reasonable. This sounds like a conversation that people tried to have in 2016 when it was Make America Great Again and a bunch of your liberal elite were saying America is actually pretty great right now, but we have some more work to do. I don't remember them saying America oh, is actually pretty great Oh, I super remember right that. There were some people that were saying that. Yeah, basically, was it? I, I'm trying to remember what the I mean, the it's, counter- it's what you have to say when your opponent is saying, make America great again. Except what, the, what they said when the opponent said that was, we have this basket of deplorables over here. Okay, but These, that's not one we, person said that. That was the head of the other half of the, Democrat, of the political establishment. Not way, but not some that far other off, people as it turns out. were saying, America is pretty great. We have a lot of things to make it even better. Like, yeah, but then what did we spend the last five years doing? Then everything got fucked up. Right. I don't know. There's just, there's a, a constant refrain, and maybe it just goes back to the George Floyd thing, but it feels like it's been going on for longer than that. And it is. It's, it is complete, like, and we could do this almost strictly about NPR. Like, NPR has gone from, like, it's just, I, I can barely listen to it anymore. Still paying for it. Because the, like, the, so there was this thing a couple of years ago where I started tracking how often they talked about transgenderism. And I don't, I, I'm sure it's in one of my notes somewhere. But they got on a kick where, like, every show, every week, was finding some way to talk about the transgender issue um, which affects, or, or you know, which represents a very, very tiny minority of of anybody's normal life, right? Now, does it, does the, is it an overwhelming impact for those that it does, in fact, impact? Of course it is. Right. Um, but it was like it was getting all of this coverage constantly, constantly, and then the George Floyd thing happened, and it all went away, relatively. So speaking. this is not even when the bathroom bill stuff was happening. There's just some rent, just a period before... I think it was. It was during the bathroom bill controversy. Okay. It was around the time of the North Carolina bathroom okay. bill nonsense happening. And it was just incessant, like right. across all of their shows constantly. And, like, I get it. It was a... It's a high... It's a sort of high-demand story, right? Where it's easy to get one side talking about it in a certain way and another side talking about it in another way and it it there's a plenty of drama to be mined from it but if it's but across you, multiple so this is not just oh this one show would fix it on this this is like across multiple programs on NPR right. it was it was everywhere and then and then when the George Floyd thing happened it's like they took that model and applied it to the race question and it's it's everywhere and in everything now there was a, can, a story where I think it was like 
climate change or something. Oh, this neighborhood doesn't have any trees, and everybody there is black. Like I was like, oh, okay. Just combining different stories into one. Like basically, like everything seemed to be racist for like five months. I don't know if they're right. still doing that now. They are, and I can't hardly listen to it anymore. I listen to it far less than I used to. Isn't the problem that too many people at NPR consume the same news? They believe the same. Th- it seems like because. As far as generating ideas for their different shows, they should have enough different things to talk about so that everybody's not reading the same stories and then they're drafting the same stories and they're producing the same stories. You know, so it's like, I think... Except that if you're a marketplace and you have decided that you're going to look at all of the... that, That if there is an economic story, you need to reframe it in terms of the racial lens. And they like they came out and said that, that we need to be more focused on economic justice than we are in simply telling the story of the economy. Is that and that, that and come that from top means, down? Like the people that are producing the shows? It's two things, of course. It's the it, it's a managerial diktat. And then on top of that, the people that they choose to hire and put in the storytelling roles there end up focusing on those stories so that anything about the housing market ends up being redirected to how uh, it affects black and brown people disproportionately. You cannot hear a story on Marketplace about the economy. You cannot go an entire episode without hearing the phrase impacts blacks and browns disproportionately. (laughs) It it is just a a constant refrain. And I don't know to whose benefit that is. Like, I I fully understand and have written extensively about how colorblindness is a is a bad model for how to run a country, right? Or or even how to interact in, in, in interpersonal relationships. It's not always the best model in terms of understanding what other people are going through. But that doesn't mean that you need to that like that can be a fact that stands on its own. And at the same time, it can be bad to view everything through the prism of skin color. Right. Right. Like, it does seem like, both of yeah. those things are in fact true. Right. And I think you're right. It, it seems like the pendulum has swung wildly the other way because the old scheme was color blind, treat everybody the same, and now it's anything but that. Right. And it doesn't settle into the middle at any right. point. No. Right. It's probably like, at no point <laughs> to be like, oh well we tried this and it didn't work and we yeah. tried that and it no. It's like, well, this fucking thing sucks. Yeah. So we're gonna go way the fuck over here and right. try it this way for another twenty years. Right. And it's like it's just unfucking bearable. And there's somewhere that like most people are just are just not at either of those extremes. And I and I it's it's entirely on me for consuming media in the way that I consume it. Although I, I must say, in the last two weeks or three weeks, I am completely unlettered when it comes to the news in the last few weeks. Oh, I yeah? barely looked it's at Twitter. Nice. There have been a lot less. There's been almost no radio in the morning. Lori doesn't hear me guffawing angrily in the kitchen from the you're, other room. You're More like a... laughing angrily. Lots of ha! Yeah, that's my guffawing Jesus angrily. Christ, what? What? You're doing it audibly. What? Tell me your feelings. <laughs> well, fucking Audie Cornish just said Don't something. Listen, it's been so much better. Has your life appreciably improved? Appreciably no, he improved? was sick the whole time. Oh, no, that's sick right. The whole time. <laughs> Bummer. We went to. Let's, it's always something. We went to. We went to South Carolina. It was a fun trip, except for the fact that we got there, and my niece, my brother's daughter, who's what Almost about to three. turn four. Almost four. Sorry. Yeah, she's very, I said it wrong. very nearly four. 
She's like three weeks away from being four. She showed up just absolutely leeching virus from every pore of her body. And, like you do. And get like the overwhelming majority of the people who visited my dad's sick. I to, did not. I was fine. Good to God. the point where I thought that we'd all had some sort of weird breakthrough COVID event, even though we were all vaccinated. Like the Yankees. Except for the children, you know? of course. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah Bob, I thought, Bob I thought we were the New York we fucking the Yankees, Yankees down there. Yankees. <laughs> Obviously, I'm Aaron Judge in this scenario. Uh, <laughs> did did uh, the symptoms begin during your stay or on the way back? Yes. Yeah, yeah during no, the stay for sure. it was a cold sure. from the kid. It's so just it, what happened. It was funny. The first day that we were out getting ready to go in the pool... I put sunscreen on the little niece. I was I was gooping up the kids with uh, sunscreen. So when you're putting goop on a small child, they're standing right in front of you. Breathing and, right in your face. Yeah, just right in your face. And it's not enough that she was breathing in my face. I lean over to rub the sunscreen into her leg, which puts my face oh, okay. right in line with her face. Right. And then she goes... <laughs> 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 just... Right into my mouth, like literally, I felt droplets leap from leaving her mouth and going into my mouth. And I was like, "Oh, Ryan, don't cough in my mouth." Here's another fun and, fact. And she goes, "Ha ha!" And she does it again on purpose, <laughs> yeah. like as a joke. I was like, "Oh." What's oh. interesting is that night, at some point, I was not putting her to bed, but it was I was in the bedroom and I was fixing her blanket, right. and I put her blanket better on top of her and she coughed directly into my mouth we were all exposed the exact same amount that's what's so fascinating about the whole experiment is that we all were in the same place doing the same things with the same people but some of us didn't Lori got nothing I i mean i like if you say like any symptoms like i had a bit of a scratchy throat but i live on the east coast and it's summer so i feel like i deserve that like it was very totally fine yeah and not me like i bob was sick a day or two after that two weeks i definitely started showing symptoms by like wednesday and thursday of that week i was pretty miserable and the dumb you part. Can tell the dumb part. Wait, the dumb part is instead of Bob taking it easy and like having a nap, he cooked everybody dinner two nights in a row with no help. Right. Wow. Well, I had a little help from, like, on the on the end, but whatever. Yeah. So, the dumb part is that in an effort to make sure that the fun continued and that the thing wasn't ruined, I. Yeah, I was like four hours in the kitchen, two nights in a row, and then like every night, I wasn't drinking heavily, but I had a drink or two every single night, even though I probably should have just gone to bed when the kids went to bed at like nine o'clock. But I wanted to, like, we never see these fucking people. Right, we haven't seen true. them in two years. We were going to be there for seven days. He could have taken one day off and would have felt better, but it's fine. I don't think that's true because I ended up being sick for like literally two weeks. Do and you think it's possible that if you had taken it easy early on, oh, you sure. might have we can felt play better that, sooner? We can play I'm that just game saying, all we want. Yes. It's possible that if you had taken it easy early on, your that body is, would have caught up and you wouldn't have been you sick. You know, Lori may be onto something. You know, in my whole history, no, anytime, I'm an idiot in this house. So anytime it's fine. something comes up, I sleep for 12 hours and nothing happens. I know, I know. I'm not saying that. that you're an idiot, and I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm saying that that is completely unfalsifiable, and it may well be true, but it's you don't not think, what happened. You I don't s- think your behavior exacerbated your symptoms? You know, it the, might have. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I, it might. It certainly might have done that. 
But it wasn't just me. Calvin got sick for a few days and then Calvin sort of got better. And then we days. came back and he was sick again. And then Katie was sick for a couple of days and, a, and seemed to be totally better. And then we came weird. back and she was, then she got it basically worse than anybody at any point. Like she got, she had a hundred and three and a half degree fever wow. for two nights. This um, is why people listen to the podcast, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, nobody okay. listens to the podcast anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> Talk about our lives. Yeah. I'm getting a tooth implant. Yeah. It was, but it was a fun trip. You know, it's funny because the my sister in law, she kept apologizing because she brought the kid who got everybody sick. But my thinking was, oh, it's way better that it's you because if it had been my kid who got everybody sick, I would be sick and also i would feel bad about getting everybody sick so it's i much prefer that it was you whose child got everyone sick from a purely selfish perspective but anyway that's why we didn't record last week that's why we're here tonight you can probably hear and like you know long time listeners and fans of my voice will will recognize that i'm not quite fully myself the same as a fan of your voice you sound fine Anyway, like I said, I didn't, I was sick and I was on vacation, so I didn't, and like on top of it, I just didn't care really to follow the news or, or Twitter much in the last couple weeks. You didn't miss much. I, I've been reading a lot, so I He's read, read... Stephen King all over the place. I read, I finally went back and finished The Three Body Problem, which is a wonderful book. You started listening to The Stand. Right, on the way down, Jesus. I downloaded the... It's like a 46 hours wow. audiobook of The Stand <laughs> and got through most of that by the time we were on the way back up and ended up finishing the book. Like I picked up my copy of the book and read it. Uh, I hadn't read that book in like 20 years. Wonderful book. I have these big like overarching problems with it that I don't think that I even noticed or that like it's weird and I'm going to tell this to two people who I don't think have read the book, uh, which is not. an inappropriate thing to do. But The Stand has as its main sort of conflict, once you get past the fact that... So basically what happens is the U.S. military develops a super flu bug variation Ooh. that accidentally uh, leaks out of the military containment lab where it was created a lab leak and yeah and wow. it kills it's it's uh, wildly super infectious and on top of that super deadly and it kills something like 99.4 percent of the global population now the, the main focus of the story is in the united states but we are led to believe that it ends up everywhere and what it's a a fun moment in the book is when the fucking military assholes implement like plan 49 or whatever the fuck the code name is and they take spoilers by the way if you haven't read this fucking 40 year old uh cultural masterpiece or uh, even if you have listened to it kind of halfway i didn't pick up any of that right if you take so what they do is they take uh as shit has gone out of control in the united states there's a a plan in place that has to be implemented by the top military leaders that has all of the CIA assets that are spread around the globe receive a vial of this superbug so that they can infect, make sure that it spreads to every other country <laughs> so that there's no, because the chances are because of international trade and travel and all of that, 
that naturally this super infectious flu would have gotten everywhere. But just in case like Australia or China or somebody wanted to, or Japan wanted to close all the borders and make sure that like they miraculously avoided this thing and then would become the global hegemonic power as a result of 99.4% of the globe dying off, they make sure that they like they spread the flu around inorganically in that case to make sure that it gets out that way they'll have more people on the problem right kind of like uh you know they'll be motivated to find a solution yeah, that way <laughs> nobody can be sure where exactly it started and who exactly is to blame because there won't be anybody left to do any blaming uh, think is- that too that too but also like i said right. if you have more eyes on the problem you know because if it was just america everybody else would move on but now right. you have your... Well, instead, instead, uh, 99.4% of the global population died. The plan uh, didn't work, like yes. Good but riddance, that's what I six say. Weeks. They were... Wait. Anyway, it's a wonderful book. Yeah. But the, so that's, that's sort of the instigating event for the events that follow, which is that there's a sort of classic battle between supernatural forces of good and evil that make themselves sort of available to two distinct groups of survivors, a group of the good who end up coalescing in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and a group of the bad who end up coming together under the influence of someone called uh, Randall Flagg in Las Vegas, Nevada. And so it's this big, like, epic, sort of classic and heavily biblical story about a battle between the forces of good and the forces for evil and who is going to come out on top here as earth is reduced to a much more primitive state i picked up on none of that <laughs> well, you were just you either weren't listening or weren't listening very closely i was but. listening and none of it sounded like that it sounded like weird forced blowjobs and <laughs> the pregnant girl where and that's it. That's all like uh, drinking and yelling yeehaw in a convertible. The guy, the cowboy and the dirt bag. I don't, I forget their names. It was. Anyway, Lori <laughs> missed a lot of it, but it's Does a wonderful book. Does it have a book. happy and ending? I mean, not so the blowjob part, but the story. Of. So this is what I'm, this is what I'm getting at when we're discussing the stand. So there's this, and it, it's a fairly classic, this era Stephen King story where the ending leaves something to be desired. He does this He does this incredible world building. And if I told you that, so this is a book that's like, I think in its final published form, the revised and, and updated edition that he put out in 1990 is nearly 1,200 pages. When they went to publish it originally, the cuts that were, they cut 400 pages out of it, not for editorial reasons, not because they thought that it was too, that, that the story was boring or whatever but because they couldn't justify it economically in terms of making the uh, business work, that even though he was a popular author who sold a lot of books, the cost of binding a book that thick didn't make sense in the paperback market at that time. So they cut 400 pages out, and they went and they they gave us the full edition, which is the one that I read when I was a kid back in the 90s. And so that's the only one that I am familiar with is the the one that was released in 1990. But what's funny about it, in part, is even though this book is nearly 1,200 pages long, it's 46 or 48 hours long in audiobook format, there are characters who, despite the fact that they got nearly a novel's worth of attention, like a normal-sized novel's worth of attention, I still, at the end, was like, 
oh, I could have used another three weeks with oh. Nick Andros. Or like I, I could have really used another 250 pages on uh, this guy's story. Like despite like the epic scale of the thing, there's still like the, the way that he builds the world, it feels like because you didn't get every possible moment with these people that, that you're actually missing out, which is a total credit to him as a writer. Like he's just fantastic at the, at the world building and the character development. Uh, although I will say with the exception of the main female protagonist who gets a really great intro and sort of middle and then in the final act is relegated to just waiting for her man back in Boulder, basically. She's pregnant and they completely ignore her life there for the last third of the book, which is to his discredit as a writer, I think. He... She's pregnant during this virus outbreak? Yeah. People are pregnant all the time, oh. especially in books. People be fucking. Aiden. I uh, just... looked up especially this book. In Stephen King books. Jeez. This is really a popular book, apparently. Uh, on Goodreads, there are, I've never seen this before, like 23,000 actual reviews of this book. I know it's been around for like 30 years. It's a wonderful holy book. Holy hell. The Stand. All right. How? There are 23,000 reviews of a thing. Anyway, I'll Who put could a, possibly say something else? If, if you are like <laughs> Abe and you have never read The Stand and you don't feel like going to your local library and taking it out, I'll put some links in the show notes for you to purchase it from the evil warlords over at Amazon. Uh, Isn't Bezos going into space tomorrow? No doubt, by the way, would do everything in their power to make sure that such an eventuality as described in The Stand didn't happen just because it would fucking kill their profits, obviously. Anyway, getting back to my me just talking about a book that I love here that neither of you have read, which is obviously <laughs> what we should be doing here. There's this big epic sort of battle between good and evil. And when I was a kid, when I first read it, and I probably haven't read this book in, I don't know, I, I might have reread it in my early 20s at some point, but uh, it's, it's probably been 20 years or so since I read it. And this is maybe my, my fourth or fifth time reading the book through. And... But it's the, it's the first time that, because at the, at the end of the book, good, the, the, the God side triumphs over the evil slash devil side, um, ultimately. Uh, and, and again, spoilers here, so jump ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear it. But at the end, a, one of the main bad guys brings a nuke back to the big bad guy, and uh, that was a bad decision because the the literal hand of God reaches out and explodes the nuke and blows up all of Vegas, which is filled with all sorts of bad people, but also just all sorts of people who are just sort of along for the ride. And so God shows up and murders like well in excess of half of the survivors of this plague that has come and ruined the world. And I think that when I first read that 25 years ago, or, or I don't know, 1992 or three, I was probably 10 or 11 years old when I first read this book. I think I took that as a very sort of straightforward, uh, the good guys have prevailed and like God wins basically, which is one way of understanding it. But reading it now, it came across as much more sort of cynical when it comes to the role of God in in this particular narrative, which is that, and and this is only really given voice to by Franny, by by the by the lead female protagonist who disappears for the last third of the book. Is she the pregnant where she one? She is the one who's saying like, "Fuck this God asshole," 
What's that? Is she the pregnant one or another character? Yeah, the pregnant one. Where because she's like, you know, I've, I think I've had about enough of God's plans, given the current fucking reality, our, our miserable existence here, where all of civilization has been ended and ninety nine percent of humanity is dead, and now, now he's demanding further blood sacrifice in order to uh, make sure that his side wins. She sort of gives voice to that, but the bulk of the narrative is like just a, your classic good versus evil thing. But I was interested to discover that my understanding of sort of King's position, the author's position on what was going on, was probably more nuanced than I picked up on a uh, when I read it 25 years ago. And it and it's cool. It's cool to go back and read something that you haven't interacted with in a long time and discover that even though. So I still love it, and I, I love it now as much as I did then, I think. But I think that I completely missed a lot of what was going on in the book back then, and and I appreciate that I was able to uh, revisit it and, and come to different conclusions uh, now. What's the motivation for the evil people? Like, 99% of the people are dead, the world is in ruins, and people are still being dicks? Like, to what end? Power. The, the accumulation the and maintenance is ruined. of power. Like, what is their... Power over what? There's nobody alive. Well, if you think think about it, you could have a pretty good time for a good number of years if 99% of the people all went away. Right, but you're like already if you could there, gather is what I'm saying. A few technologically oriented... But if you could gather enough people who were able to get the lights back on and to make the plumbing work again... Right. Like, there's enough resources and whatnot just lying around to make the world sort of work for... A couple hundred thousand of us. We right. could live like fucking kings. Apparently for not. For example. Because some asshole's going to say, no, I'm going to nuke you or whatever the fuck this book is about. It seems like no one's ever right. happy. Th that Thanos guy was wrong when he's like, if I do the half a people die thing, things will be kumbaya. Not so fast. Anyway, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And I think that it got a lot more attention in the last couple of years in part because of the, uh, obviously, the pandemic that we all continue to live through. Uh, and the fact that there was a, a shitty remake of it on the CBS All Access streaming service. It's no good? That was... So I went to uh, check out some reviews of it, and it is apparently no good. Mm. Yeah, uh, and it's certainly not... I'm not about to pay for another goddamn streaming service uh, just to watch The Stand. But yeah, so I read The Stand. I read that three-body problem. And then I... Because I had just finished The Stand, I went and picked up... Uh, the beginning of Stephen King's The Dark Tower series, and I've powered through the first two books of seven out of that incredibly long and involved series, and it's good. The first book is a bit of a bit of a slog. The second book is really great. I read the second book, which is 470 pages or something. I read that in the last 24 hours. When I read a book, I can really fucking plow through it. When I decide I'm going to read oh, a book, really? it's like... Bob doesn't do anything else until he... That's right. I let the kids play video games for two and a half hours today. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm not parenting. I'm not Didn't doing anything. check to make sure the podcast equipment was working? Nothing's working. The computer's... <laughs> it's not my fault. It's not your fault. You could have found out earlier instead of reading half a book. A whole book. Whatever. Did... Uh, what did you do? You see any movies? Weren't you going to go see the Furious 9? I, I did. Actually, I... I I, w I wasn't sick. Oh, by the way, I should uh, mention that because we have recorded since I came back from the Florida panhandle. But since then, uh, it came to our attention that we were exposed to the, the virus, uh, the coronavirus. And oh, that's right. It, you, you and your boys. Well, let's reset the scene here. You and your boys 
had a guys weekend yeah. in Panama City. Yes. Great success, right? R- recorded a podcast. Yeah, we recorded. We, People came from multiple continents. We were out and about with the locals, and uh, you thought, oh, okay, easy come, you know, quick trip. Eight eight vaccinated dudes. Eight, eight. healthy, young, vaccinated dudes. Yeah, right? I think everybody but like six Pfizer, two Moderna. So everybody's fully whatever. And then when we got back, it was basically the run-up to the, to the Peachtree Road Race the following week, and one of us wasn't feeling so well and i was like oh it's probably just a hangover or something right and uh turns out no they tested positive for covid and everyone else was like oh shit (laughs) and so we all tested multiple times so what was the impetus for going and getting a covid what was the like because you're vaccinated and you have sort of cold symptoms why did he decide oh i better go get a covid test i I think anyway perhaps i think it was because it was multiple symptoms, right? And it wasn't like, I mean, I think ideally, like it was my case, it's good to have the one where it's definitely COVID, like the smell, taste thing. Because all the other ones, it could just be the regular fl- cold or, you know, yeah. like your body doesn't do a very good job of telling you which one it is. If it's just like fever or just a headache or whatever. But basically, it just didn't get any better, you know. So like a day or two after the trip, let's go just get tested just to rule it out. It came back positive. Interestingly enough, like there were three of the eight that had trips abroad the following week, and they needed to test out to fly internationally. So they, right. I'm sure, they were sweating bullets because it's like if they <laughs> if they test positive, they can't go anywhere, and the whole trip is ruined. And no one tested positive other than the first person. So a spectacular wow. success, right? Except for if you yourself had it, right? If you were fully vaccinated and not only did you have a breakthrough case but you actually had some mild symptoms not enough to go to the hospital or anything but just like multiple symptoms of just like chills and you know running a high temperature and all that stuff right you were sick yeah you got vaccinated and you ended up getting sick anyway it sucks your experience who went to florida also got covid right now i i suspect that if you go to places like Florida or where most people have COVID, yeah. Or Las Vegas or like there are certain places where it's like good luck. I mean, you're asking a lot of the vaccine to protect you against all of that. It's not let's not blame the city. Let's I mean, I don't think you guys were just hanging out on the beach and all of a sudden COVID oh, ran it up came and to jumped us. on you. Oh, actually we came like this, to it. <laughs> this was this was the club. But the this thing was, is we were some honking tonk places and people just, you know, I Maybe it's because of my previous infection, but if anybody should have got it, it should have been me. Because as you know, Bob, whenever I'm, you know, out of sorts, I'm like around other people and uh, a bit, a bit close in the talking. <laughs> yeah, plenty of opportunity for me to be infected, but thankfully, uh, I was fine. But yeah, uh, but it seems like at least a couple of people are now like, oh, maybe we should. It seems like there was almost some loss of faith in the effectiveness of the vaccine, even though from my point of view. This is a success story, right? Yeah. All eight of us were exposed, definitely, because we're all together at all times for all weekend. Right. And it, right. And whoever, like, did was he in your car on the way home, or was he in another car? Like, another how many car. people did he drive back with? Right. So basically, it was in the other right. car. So, and and that car, what? None of the people in that car were affected. Right. And so, like, I, I think the vaccines help. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah. It fucking works. It's good. It yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, we are talking here today, Monday the 19th, and it seems like there's this concerted effort 
to, and forgive me for talking in terms of like grand conspiracy or whatever, but the media is really freaking out about the fact that like we're up, we're up, cases have doubled in the last yeah. uh, week and a half right. or whatever. Like everybody's freaking out because we got so close to that number that I was waiting for. We, right. I was I was watching the graph. The, the rolling average, and it got down to, like, 11,000. And then the next week, it was down to, like, it was down another 600 cases or something. I was like, we are going to be, we're going to be right there. And then it starts to go back up. It goes up to, like, 14,000. And then all of a sudden, I think the most recent rolling average is 26,000. It's over 30,000. And, yeah, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Is it over 30 now? Yeah. And, it, yes, I, I recognize that it's bad. It's not ideal. But we're talking about thirty thousand cases, and 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 if the Delta variant is the problem, what they what they seem to refuse to say is they refuse to finish the sentence, when they say the Delta variant, which is wildly more infectious. Oh, but also by like, the thing that they don't say is also it seems to be considerably less lethal uh, relative to the original coronavirus. Like they never finish the fucking sentence. Right. So. John Dickerson introduces the segment about how far more people are being infected by the far more infectious Delta variant, but he doesn't finish the fucking sentence and say, oh, and it turns out it's killing way fewer people than the previous but iteration of the virus. I wonder, was. is that and true? I don't, I don't know if that's a concerted effort. Is it true? No, yes, saying, it is it, true it, that the Delta variant is less lethal. But is, is it because the numbers haven't really moved up? Is, is, is this like a matter of just waiting a few more weeks for it to... For, for us to determine whether that's true It's or not? probably in part because the people who are get going to be coming down with the virus at this point are people who are not necessarily likely to die in the same way that the people who were getting the original COVID-19 were, right? Like right. That we're talking about less less vulnerable populations. And yeah, maybe that maybe there's some fuzziness in how you count it as far as that's concerned. But that's important, right? That we have a, a more robust defense against this than we did a year ago, than we did a year and a half ago, just by virtue of the fact that so many people have had it and so many people are vaccinated. Like, it's not a small thing that 60% of the population in a majority of places has gotten vaccinated. That is an incredible success right. that we have managed to stick that many people with a vaccine. And then some other X number of people on top of that have natural immunity because they've already had and recovered from the virus. And it seems like instead the story is we all need to be freaking the fuck out about the Delta variant all the way up to the point where the Dow has a bad day, <laughs> which, by the way, I know this is weird for people, but like stocks go down sometimes yeah. too, right? Like that's just a fact. Even though it seems like stocks only go up, sometimes the numbers turn red and they go in the other direction. I got three alerts on my phone, one Google News alert, and then one New York Times alert, and one Washington Post alert within five minutes of each other, which all said the Delta variant has rattled the stock market, yeah. and markets were down 2.5% today because of it. It's like, oh, yeah? You, you got the stock market <laughs> on the telephone to find out what the stock market was thinking? Right. You fucking assholes. But like, so we watch a, a global pandemic ravage the earth for the last year and a half. But the thing that's driving the individual up and down today of the stock market is that the market caught wind of the fact that the Delta variant infected 36,000 people in this country well, that's last so week. What's so annoying, though, about Americans right now is we have a effective free available vaccine that the rest of the world doesn't have and half of the adults aren't taking yeah. it. It's frustrating. Like what is everybody's problem? 
There's a lot of talk about vaccine hesitancy and how best to communicate uh, with people who are not interested in getting the vaccine. Is guilt one of them? Guilt about their privilege? Is that not one? Because that's all I, it's, that really works. That really works on this particular crowd, (laughs) let me tell you. Obviously. But some of the, it just, I don't get it. We're so lucky. Some of the reasons people are giving for why they're hesitant. I'm wondering where are they getting this information? Like, just the weirdest things. It's like, oh, there's like a microchip in this or there's just random people just saying random things. And I know social media gets a bad rep, but is this where people are getting it or just like their friends are telling them, I heard. Oh, it is 100% social media. They're absolutely getting it from Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. But I never see like, so, this. So that was another where, thing. Where is this? The, like, I, I never see these. The sun, well, no, you don't. You don't fight. You're not a fucking moron who follows the unimaginably stupid but accounts that post this shit. Do you have to first follow it, or it just comes to you, right? Because, I mean, like, some of these people just look like some old lady. I'm, I'm not sure she's not following some Yahoo, but it, it seems like it comes across her... It doesn't have to be a Yahoo. That's the pro- That's the problem. It's it's that fucking cat. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's tell the cat story real quick here in the Pause middle of... tell the cat story. I think so, I tell it better than you do. We come back from our trip. We're gone for eight days. Go ahead, Lori. You can tell the story. So my sweet, our sweet Bob's cat. So Fred loves Bob. Fred always just wants to be on Bob. And we left her alone for seven whole days. And she's 18 years old. And she's very okay. And my mom came by every single day and pet the cat and read to the cat. She probably sang fucking original songs to the cat stop it she (laughs) listens to the show i guarantee that's fine i can make fun of her for singing original compositions to the cat maybe the cat appreciates so she probably made up a song about the cat anyway my cat was very well cared for bob's cat really was very well cared for we got home saturday night everything was fine sunday afternoon bob is sitting on the couch fred jumps into his lap and pees on him (laughs) what just unleashes unleashes a full a full bladder this of cat is piss what you fucking get all over my like lap. immediately after the leap just after settling in the next morning the next morning the next day the next it was like day. afternoon yeah wow. it was like so you're one back. in the afternoon oh you're back oh i see oh welcome home wow. how about that shit Climbs into my lap, settles herself down, and then, like, I'm watching, I'm probably playing Mario Golf or something on the television, and I feel a warmth spreading across my belly and my crotch. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, I know I was sick, but I'm not pissing myself, I'm pretty sure. And it turns out it was the fucking cat just peeing all over me. When's the last time something like that has happened with any of the cats? Or has that never happened? Never. Because of spite. Because of spite, (laughs) she peed all over me. Not because She's peed on other stuff, but not directly on him. Was that in protest to your actions? She's looking at me right now. I can see the spite in her goddamn green eyes. Don't fuck with Fred, man. Wow. And it was after listening to you on our most recent podcast, podcast That's episode the cat. talk about the cat and how you can always look out for the cat and don't, don't ever trust the cat and and then my cat jumps in my lap and urinates all over me in the middle of the day out of spite this is abe's doing i don't somehow. remember saying any such the cat thing acting spitefully you anyway. were talking about vaccine hesitancy believe it or not 
people probably listen to their fucking cats about whether or not to get the vaccine. That's the problem. <laughs> Although I, I, I would appreciate if they just stopped doing the now that I have it, I recommend other people get the vaccine because like listen to yourself. Would you listen to yourself like two weeks ago? Like this is not an effective message. Everybody has been saying get the vaccine to people like you. And it was always like, no, I don't need it. I'm healthy or whatever until you yourself have gotten right. it. Right. So, so what's the point I of saying I do have that? some sympathy for some of it, right? So like it is not a deadly disease to young people generally, right? It's not a deadly disease for children uh, overwhelmingly. It's not that at least to this point. And like I have some sympathy for the idea that this is a brand new vaccine technology that is that there are no long-term studies on it because it the technology has not existed, right? The previous iterations of this had all been rejected. Now that was in part because they were flooding systems with far more of this particular so the, the way that the M, well, whatever, we've discussed this in the past. We came to the conclusion that we think that it's probably safe. No. But the fact of the matter is we don't fucking know, right? Like, and that's, that's something that I can never get past why I've always hesitated at outright condemnation of the vaccine skeptic community. As, as sort of bummed as I am that it exists because so much of it is born out of misinformation and a misunderstanding and innumeracy, like just a, a complete misunderstanding of cause and effect and how numbers work and how statistics work. But at the same time, it's hard for me because like the truth of the matter is the only reason I got the vaccine is out of a, a belief. Right. Like it's nothing that I know about the safety of the fucking Moderna vaccine. Like for, for literally, for all I know, they could have been injecting me with poison. Right. Like it requires. The fact is, it requires a leap of faith on my part. It's so not I, just a leap of faith. It requires. Why would they fill you with poison? Like to what end? Right. Sure, but. There are plenty of examples of people accidentally being filled with poison right. throughout human Those history. Those things happen. It doesn't, Usually they it doesn't eat have it. To, sure, it doesn't have to be a malevolent end, uh, uh, a malevolent motivation on behalf of big pharma for big pharma to make a mistake, right? It could just be a, a mistake. And and I get it. But like I, I, on, I totally get on it. On that front, like generally speaking, the people who are uncomfortable vaccines it's not because it's some new thing right people that are against vaccines are against the vaccines have been around for decades right it's not just this particular right so right and i'm 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 giving the only defensible argument which is that it's a i understand it from a position of not knowing and not wanting to as an example be responsible for sticking my kid with the thing like like that's what i mean right. like i don't know i'm relying on a leap of faith in the culture at large and by the way there's a great deal of lack of confidence in the culture at large and in the institutional in the institutions that that hold up our culture but that's not i don't know if anyone's noticed that over the last but, 4 or 5 years but generally that's not um, a unique thing right like for instance like lori with the the $11,000 thing, right? Like you have to kind of trust that the per the anesthesiologist is not going to kill you or that that person is going to do whatever the procedure is. And I mean, yeah, he's not going to screw it up. Right. Like we do need to trust people at a certain level, not to say like blindly trust, but like 
look around and just make a, a calculated decision to say that is this all just a scheme right. to and kill I, people? I, like I came down on that side, right? Like I got the vaccine. Right. I was happy to get the vaccine, and I'm glad that I'm protected against this virus. And great, that works for me. All I'm saying is that I understand the hesitation from that perspective. What I don't understand is people who think that Bill Gates is trying to microchip you. Right. And it's not a small percentage of the vaccine-hesitant people who believe the absolute craziest shit right. about the vaccine. Yes. Right? And that's distressing. And when you look at what Facebook said, and this was brought up on the on the Sunday shows this week, uh, Facebook released some statement about how in the last X number of days they removed 20 million pieces of misinformation with regard to the vaccines and coronavirus. It's like, you think that's good? That you've removed 20 million pieces of misinformation from your platform, right. right? Like, so what you're saying is that your platform is completely overrun with awful bullshit. And after some insane number of people saw those 20 million pieces of, in, of misinformation and consumed that content, and by the way, even when presented as misinformation, a not insignificant portion of that audience received it as true, right. even yeah. though it was presented as misinformation. Like you say, here is a lie. Some percentage of people walk away from that saying, oh, I learned this true thing today. Yeah. Even though the person said, here is a lie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that they take away from that <laughs> is, is that oh, I learned this true thing today. Right. That, the, the, uh, the high this is not, this is not a, a good thing, Facebook. Right. The, the, when I first heard that high number and they're like you, you said they're passing it off as look at you know we're being very effective i was thinking of you know like they have this case positivity rate like this would be like if you had a 60 percent case positivity rate right saying boy a lot of the tests for covid are coming back positive we're catching the positive cases like no that means that you have a <laughs> great, great job, everyone. You have a, an outbreak, right? If that many of them are coming back positive, you, that whole the whole thing is shot, right? So that they're able to pull that many million stories, there are probably even many more out there, right? And that right, it reminds me of the child sexual. It's the the child sex imagery that we're not supposed to say kitty porn anymore. But oh. when we talked about the Facebook and Google having problems with child sexual imagery being used on their platforms or, or shared on the Facebook Messenger or whatever. That's why they don't tell us that they removed X number of pieces of child sexual imagery from their platform in the last week right. because it proves the point that people are constantly right. sharing that's child true. pornography yeah. on their platform. Right? Yeah, cause that's It's a... the same exact thing, but in this case, they're bragging about it. Right. And I again, I know I don't use Facebook that much, but... I haven't seen any of these millions of things, not like one. Right. So, and I use Facebook, I think, less now, probably in the last three or four months than I have at any point. I find myself still sort of reflexively opening the app yeah. and then scrolling through like three posts and being like, what, like, what, like, what am I even yeah. doing here? There's <laughs> nothing here for me yeah. anymore. Mine is mostly parkour videos at this point. Oh, and it has started to great. it has started to give me notifications and I didn't change any of my notification settings. So my notification settings go way the fuck back and they say when any of my pre-established best friends 
or like close friends or whatever the delineation is there right. on Facebook post something, give me the notification. Right. Which, by the way, it doesn't work anymore. No. Because I will go and like click on Gillig's Facebook and it, I will see that he has posted something and I never got a notification. Yeah, I for get it. notifications for people I like don't know. Right. I get now I get notifications for people that like I actively don't ever want to yeah. hear from again. <laughs> but I'm still friends with them on that Facebook. Is true. But it's like yeah. uh, this fucking asshole from your pizza days just posted something terrible on Facebook. Would you like to check it out? Right. It's like no, no. goddammit. <laughs> go away. No, like here's a your your worst cousin and one of your former stepdads just had an interaction on Facebook. Would you like to click and find out what it said? Yeah. Like, no, actually, I would not. Please stop notifying me of that. Anyway, the the Biden administration is also completely fumbling any way of responding to this nonsense. So Biden said a few days ago. Kind of stepped on it. Talking to somebody on a tarmac somewhere. Peter Alexander? I, I forget where it yeah. was or who he was talking yeah. to. The question was something like, what would you say to these social media companies with regard to all of the misinformation that's being spread on their platform? And Biden's response was, you're killing people. Yeah. And uh, yes, that's that's probably uh, possibly defensibly true, but it's probably not something that the president should right. be saying. Well, um, also, it's not true. And beyond I mean, that, what Saki... They're facilitating... It's true in the sense that me as a podcasting asshole should be able to say, yeah, shut the fucking websites down. You guys suck. Right. <laughs> uh, but if he's not willing to go that far, yeah. then what is the point of him saying that? It's so it's it's true, but also uh, what what is the ellipses say about what the federal government is going to do about that, right? right? Because if the, if the executive is saying Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are killing people, yeah. then – that means that the president or the administration has some sort of responsibility to act in terms or, of preventing American lives from being ended by social media, it, right? It, it came across as like – and this happens way too often now where people will just say something that's not entirely true but is provocative just to shame someone into doing something you want them to do. So like you're ki they're killing people by their either inaction to stop – the spread of misinformation or their ineffectiveness in the same, right? And then Facebook responds by saying, no, we're not killing people, which is, you know, obviously what they're going to say. They're not going to let that we're, hang we're in the air. We're not killing people. We removed 20 yeah. million pieces of mis misinformation off of our platform and, just in the last week. And Biden kind of walked it back some to and massaged the, yeah, yeah, I meant blah, blah, blah. I mean, everybody kind of knows what he meant. But I think he, the idea was like, your platform and the spread of information, misinformation on your platform is killing people, right? Do something right, about but it. But also, and then Saki, and then Saki says in the press, because she's the the press secretary, yeah. she says that the administration has been sending reports to Facebook, flagging items as min misinformation to be flagged and taken down. Which is that? Is that the job of thirty interns or something yeah, did, working in the White House press office? Yeah, is it, they have some people do like actively looking at Facebook, and they're. I'm sure they have their own people right. at Facebook. And by the way, we should not have executive branch of the United States government determining what is and is not misinformation right. on the various social media platforms. I, I don't think that, that is a crazy right wing talking right. point. That that this was not cool especially for the administration to after, be flagging things as misinformation. Especially after the lab leak experience of the past year, where 
a lot of people thought this is definitely not true, so they're going to deplatform or they're going to, you know, suspend accounts on YouTube because they're floating the, the idea. Like, sometimes you don't even know. Like, even best case scenario, I think in a best case scenario where you know this is right and this is wrong, maybe, but we don't live in that world. Sometimes you, you yourself don't know if something's true or not. And so you don't want to get in the business of this unless it's like, I guess, very obvious. You don't want to be like... We overwhelmingly don't know. And it seems like the intelligentsia, the, the, the media elites, the, the people who write the narrative that is an acceptable narrative, the, the people who stand opposed morally and intellectually to the Tucker Carlson's of the world, right? The, the people who are telling the truth have decided that they are the arbiters of all truth and that there will be no, there is no room anymore for people to question the official narrative to the point where, like that, the way that the Hunter Biden laptop story was handled way back in what, whatever it was, August or it September was like closer of, to of the election year, right? When did the, the New York Post... Was it, it was a like, full-on October surprise? Yeah, I think it was in October because the person who had the byline, I, get, I don't know, some story, but I remember it was like an in that window within six weeks, maybe late September or October. So October of 2020, the, the Hunter Biden laptop story, which still strikes me as something far too convenient and far too weird to be anything but some sort of political operation by the opposition. And we can, there's no reason to rehash all the details, but the fact that you weren't allowed to post about it on Twitter, you weren't allowed to post about it on Facebook or your account would be suspended. Like it's, it's a piece of information, whether it is entirely true or like it's up to and, – and this idea that somehow we cannot allow this thing to sway an election. It's not OK to give that level of control to people who are have, – have unfathomable power and don't actually answer to anyone. So would you say it's preferable – let's say we pit the two worst-case scenarios against one another. Is it better to – have someone manipulate the platforms to achieve an electoral outcome that's preferable than having a few tech giants deciding who can post and who cannot like just absorb the misinformation and however people yes yeah i would i would say to your fucking absurd hypothetical (laughs) i would say yes i will accept the inconceivable outcome of somebody manipulating facebook and twitter to the point where donald trump wins some people imagined that that's what happened in 2016 that there was some sort of facebook russian influence campaign that somehow upended the results of the 2016 election and unfairly gave a win to donald trump but that wasn't the case, right? Like, he just won. Right. He won because he got more electoral college votes than Hillary, and it had nothing fucking to do with uh, some sort of weird Russian misinformation campaign on Facebook. But if it becomes clear that these platforms have that sort of influence and that they can be weaponized in such a way, then, yeah, I think that that will lead to the upending of these platforms as as meaningful ways to interact in our society. Right. It would it would put an end to their influence in a meaningful and and sort of cut and dry sort of way, uh, because it wouldn't be worth it. We don't get anything good out of them, relatively speaking, right? Like there's just right. no. 
There's nothing that I'm actually deriving from it that brings me any, I mean, whatever. Well, somebody's getting something out of this. There was that, I, I didn't hear about this until earlier today, but there was a story where apparently there was a doctor or made a video about some transgender person going into the wrong bathroom and exposing their genitals to children. And it was like a video kind of floating out there. And it caused people to like protest outside the establishment. And there were a couple people that got stabbed. One of them was a, they called it a friendly stab. I mean, I've heard of friendly fire, but somebody who was on the against transgender people somehow in the melee got stabbed themselves. And they called it a a friendly stab, which I find amusing. But it turns out all of the stuff was based on something that, is actually not necessarily true. Like it actually didn't happen. There was no person that was exposing themselves. Basically, the the fear of a man saying that they identify as a woman going into a uh, the women's changing area and exposing themselves to like young girls and and women and people just online just kind of took it that and entirely. It was a hypothetical thing that this guy just made up. Well, apparently, it was just one of those kind of like. They, they, it was like an edited video, and it actually never actually happened. Like, none of it. Well, and how would that not be worse for the person who's accidentally exposing themselves? Like, R- I feel way worse for that person than the people who viewed it. Well, the idea is that that's a predator, not someone accidentally Right, that they were basically, tr- like, getting r- around it as a loophole. Like, oh, I get to now do these things. As if it were okay yeah, for them to... that's a thing. But apparently none of it happened, but... People yeah. accepted it as true online. I mean, this happens a lot in other countries, especially. I think there was like like Bangladesh, there was a bunch of people that died because somebody doctored a video and it was like against Muslims or something. And instead of like verifying the story, people would just go out in the streets and, you know, get upset and somebody gets killed. And in this case, it was just a couple of stabs. But online, people don't seem to like, get a second source or a third source or they just consume the information and they accept it as true and that's it. And so I'm not sure what like splitting up the big companies is going to do because whatever website you use, however small or appropriately sized company, if you're on that website and somebody's spreading whatever, you're not doing your own into just kind of like look at one other site, see if you can find it anywhere else. And if you're not doing that much, then so what is the when we when we be in not the that same there's position? Always, not that there's always a solution. Yeah. But I so I've been saying since we started this podcast, and it's a long-standing belief of mine that there is no moral case for the existence of <laughs> Facebook or Twitter or any of the any, any social media site that attains a certain size just should no should not exist. That 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 it is not a good for civilization like and i mean that 100 percent sincerely right. and it sounds silly but like it would be better for the globe if zuckerberg woke up tomorrow and had an epiphany and said oh we gotta fucking pull the plug on this thing this is all bad right and like he's got all the money he could fuck off he'd be fine uh he doesn't even need that much he could go live on his compound in hawaii or wherever it is that he set himself up but then what would and, be like he would split up facebook just have Instagram be yeah, its own pull, thing. Like I said, pull up. So, but, but what is so? If my idea that 
these things should not exist is just completely inconceivable and that it's just we're just stuck with them fucking forever because there's two and a half billion people on Facebook and Twitter drives the entire news cycle, even though like some insanely small percentage of Americans are even on Twitter. Yeah. It's like 10 percent of Americans, I think, use Twitter on a on a weekly basis or something like that probably journalists of that 10 percent right of the 10 percent something like one percent post 95 percent of the content and and interact with like of of the interactions that take place on twitter it's like a percentage of a percentage of what's actually going and yet it drives the entire cultural conversation but isn't that how that's not just because that's like i know laurie will say just that's just you and your stupid bubble but you go and you you consume the rest of the media landscape and it's all coming from twitter like i don't turn on nbc news or go to nbcnews.com and learn anything right. it's all just shit that i've seen on twitter already <laughs> why don't they do more parkour videos on cnn then but, but the the point is that it's a tiny little thing that has a massive amount of influence and should just be completely eliminated. Right. But since apparently that is not an option, what what is what is the plan? And how do you eliminate something that has so much influence in the culture from mattering 10 years from I now? I mean, like if it's impossible to pull the plug on them, how do you fix it? The, the easiest thing would be is I guess the hardest thing which would be to expect more out of the people who are consuming this information like look into it a little further like uh, speaking of the very few impacting the many i don't know where i read this this could be a, me just consuming information without looking into it but there was like apparently like 12 accounts or 12 people that are responsible for upwards of 60 percent of the covid misinformation so it's not like everybody is spreading the same misinformation it seems like there's a concerted effort and it has a very wide impact you know and so i mean i guess they could try to stop those people but shouldn't it also be the case that people your full-fledged human beings or adults most of you figure it out look into it do some google searches like don't just assume everything you read is true or at least don't act on it you know right the alternative the alternative has to be i think that the alternative has to be and this goes along with what you're saying is that we just fucking ignore it right like like we, it just exists in this weird. Like we get back to the idea that what's happening on the internet isn't actually real life. Yeah, because that's, that's has been my position. The internet's not real. Well, when I was, I mean, when we were all there, when the internet was new, you were like, you were told, okay, here's the internet. Everything on it is a lie. If you see something on the internet, it's probably not true. Right. Like that was the. That was yeah. the default. The foundation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't, like, if there's someone, they're probably not who they say they are. Yeah. They're probably not where they say they are, and what they're saying is a lie. Yeah. And, like, yeah, let's just go back to that. Go back to <laughs> Yeah. It's the, it, when we talked about it in terms of the, the Yale lunatics with Amy Chua, and our conclusion there was, like, it would be best if Yale could just completely ignore what these people are saying about Amy Chua because she's like she doesn't deserve to be thrown out on her ass. She right. she didn't actually do anything wrong. And instead, the Yale administration is like, oh, we take very seriously all of your concerns, uh, young children, and we'll make sure that the appropriate uh, remedies are made, et cetera, et cetera. And then like the American Booksellers Association sends out a, and I'll put the link in the show notes. 
they send out a box every month to like independent bookstores and major bookstores. It's the American Booksellers Association. They're just a they're like a fluff organization for the selling of books, right? So they yeah. put together these happy boxes and they send them out and they're like, "Here, check out the books in this month this month's box." And they sent out a book by someone that's about trans kids who are unhappy with the fact that they got uh, hormone blockers when they were young children. And so they, they didn't go through puberty in the natural or normal way or whatever. And the way that that impacted their lives in a negative way. Like, it, 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 this isn't a made-up screed. It's actual journalism done there trying was a segment to explore... on 60 Minutes about this too, right? Yeah, Right, sure. Ago. We talked about it a couple months yeah. ago uh, with the detransitioners. Yeah. But there's this book and... Like, I've heard this woman interviewed in mainstream places before, and I guess it's completely anathema now. And by the way, the gender the, the, the gender ideologists are as fundamental as you will find anywhere in the culture, right? Like, if yeah. you're looking for the absolute most religiously devout about what is and is not acceptable to say, it's the, it's the gender activists, and it's, it's weird, like that's the only word that I have for it is that it's weird that anything that you say that is not in keeping with what they've established as the rules of rhetoric when it comes to the transgender issue is an actual violence that will end with trans kids being killed. Like right. that's that's what they say. Right. So the American Booksellers Association puts a flyer for this book into their monthly box. And then they get called out for doing violence to trans people by including this in their box, saying, like, this is literally going to lead to violent death for trans kids, you shitty bookselling association. And so they come back and they completely capitulate. They, they write, they issue a groveling thread of apology. It says, we fucked up, we did a violence against trans people, and we're going we're gonna to work to do better. When the correct response to this should have been, just dead silence. Right. It should have been absolutely <laughs> no response. Yeah, you, you don't have, have to react you to everything. Have said absolutely yeah. right. nothing. And also, this is the desired outcome. Just like, I mean, this is not exactly the same, but like going back to Biden's throwaway comment about they're killing people or whatever. Basically, sometimes people will say something pro provocative to get a reaction, either shame them into taking a certain action, or in you know, same thing here scare them or sh shame them into backtracking, right? You, you, you know, this book thing is causing the death of trans kids and the desired and reaction is to say, oh my God. it's never good enough. Right. So, they, so they issue the apology, they grovel, they debase themselves before the audience, and then the audience comes back and says, uh, well, I guess this is sort of a start, but what are you going to do? I want your next six months of of book shipments to go out with nothing but these 11 books, right? And right. you have to donate all of your profits from your organization to these organizations that are uh, focused on making sure that trans kids are safe in the way that we we have decreed that is the only acceptable way for trans kids to be safe, right? right? So no matter what you do, you're never going to win against these people because the entire thing is just constant victimization based on identity. So right. there's never any actual... Uh, success had because they're just going to the the moment that you kneel down they're going to kick you in the fucking right. face right now isn't it uh what is it is it libel isn't it like tr like if something is true it can't be libel right or something like that like it that's right. like a defense against any libel charges uh 
similarly, like they are sharing true experiences of people who have since regretted transitioning, I take it, right? So the, there, no one is disputing the truth. And this sounds like I've said this before, but the dispute is not there. Basically, they're just saying that it's giving outsized focus on this experience, which they're claiming is rare, and it's going to lead to the harm of blah, 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 blah. So the reaction from the publisher should be either nothing, like you say, or if they're going to say something, just speak to that fact that these are true experiences that they wanted to share and, you know, we're publishing but them. But it, then- it shouldn't be up to the American Booksellers Association. It shouldn't be up to the ABA to defend the editorial content of some book that they were hawking, right? Like right, it's but, not it's not their job. But, it is but up it, to the author to defend that. It is it is ultimately maybe also up to the publisher to make sure that false bullshit isn't going out under the guise of truth, right? Under the guise of journalism or something like that. But, That's their responsibility. But if they but did do not, that, it, though, it's not the responsibility not, of right. everybody who says here is this thing that exists to have to defend all of the content within it, right? We can we can live in a world where there is some amount of information that whether true or not we disagree with right that that needs we need to be able to live in a in a pluralistic society where you have disagreements about things and not everything comes down to existential questions of who's killing who right but if somebody chose to take that approach what would be the response like if saying these are Honest testimonials. I don't know. How do you convince? How do you convince the media that what's happening online isn't real? When th- this is a whole right. uh, population of people who live all of their lives, twenty-two hours a day, in the internet, right? right? All of their reputational life exists in their phone and on their Twitter homepage, right? right. Like, how do you? So even if you and I and and all of my friends have decided because I think we sort of have, right? No, none of my close friends like regularly post to Facebook or Twitter in the way that we did ten years ago. Right? Yeah. That was a medium of of social exchange in two thousand nine, in twenty twelve, right. as as late as twenty fifteen. Right? It was a place to go to have conversations. It's not anymore. The closest right. that we have is like group messaging, maybe yeah. sometimes. But that's what it, what Facebook was before, because before all of the clutter and all of the random stories yeah, that they would add. Used to, when you knew everyone you followed on Facebook, it was yeah, different. Just about everything was that, like, oh, this is somebody, even if you don't know them, it's like a friend of a friend or a friend of a family It was member. interpersonal relationships. It was, I'm going to the movies, have fun. Right. Like, when you knew everyone on Facebook, it made sense to say personal things on Facebook. Right. So, but then if we've gotten completely away from that, if if a whole generation of us don't use it in the way that it was once used, because I think we recognize that it's just bullshit. Yeah. That it that right. that what happens there isn't real. How do we convince the rest? Like, and like that's not unusual, right? I'm not no, saying that also, we're special. I don't think that you can take away the fact that yes. It changed, but also we got a lot older, so yes. we might not feel like our little special thoughts are worth putting uh, on uh, Facebook as uh, much as we may have. Like it's, I'm just saying it's part of it. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that the two things happened at once. And the I think who started Facebook right. got older, right? And those older people, these old geezers, us, uh, basically, I think a lot of people transitioned into just like 
groups like either facebook groups or yeah. multiple text messages or whatsapp yeah. groups or yeah we have group texts now yeah because basically then it's kind of you're trying to recreate what it it used to be where you're just communicating to people you want yeah. to communicate you're with you know talking to the people who want to listen to you yeah right. but so if that's all it is then why does it why does it, why is it the fucking lodestar of the entire civilization that's what yeah. if all social media if we all recognize that it's fucking horseshit and doesn't matter and is not like nothing that happens there is impactful to our lives or should be then why is it that it represents such a disproportionate amount of uh, the, the civilizational I, conversation. Like I they, think you, you can't overstate the amount of import that these that these uh, companies have in our lives now, and for what, and to whose benefit. There are aspects of sh- social media that are, I think, either harmless or or beneficial. You know, where you can tailor it to. I just want to communicate with these people. The problem is when people use social media as a source of for news, which is something that I always think is mind-numbingly stupid because you have no control of how the like the the, the information that's being shared with you it's not uh, newsworthy. It's just like they're trying to get a reaction out of you. I can't believe this thing happened, or somebody got punched in the face in your neighborhood, or. Like that's not actual news. So, like, if people are using it for news consumption, then the whole thing falls apart. But if you're using right, it for Facebook we were groups fine. or we, the we, marketplace to sell some shit, then it's fine. It just—it's like, what are you using it for? T- Fifteen or twenty years ago, though, it was fine that there were lunatics on the radio having these conversations and right. and and living and breathing conspiracy theories, right? It was fine that you went to work and somebody had some really fucked up weird ideas about the way the world works, right? right? And you wrote you wrote it off because yeah. it's fucking insane. Yeah. But it's fine for them to walk around believing those things. Yeah. And you know what? It's fine that they're on Facebook talking with one another believing those things. Right. Yes, it has an outsized impact on apparently like how many people want to take the vaccine. But does it? Like, does it? Do we think that 20 years ago, a higher percentage of people would have gotten this vaccine because Facebook and Twitter and Instagram well, didn't exist? Somebody, like, I'm not. I'm not in. So maybe I'm now arguing against my point in the first place, which is that society would be better off without these fucking applications. But I think that one way to mitigate the impact that they're having is just to recognize that uh, this is just another way that humans have been interacting uh, forever. Right. That. that I used to go to work and have conversations with people that were completely fucking bonkers and had no relation to actual physical reality right. in terms of the things that they believed about the way that the world works. And those same people still believe those things. The difference is now they're they're trading in memes on Facebook rather than uh, telling me about them in between pizza deliveries. But there's like, so much of new. I know, it's but there's so a, much of that though. Like in real life, there's only so much wacky shit this coworker is going to tell you in the limited time that you have whereas your people are online all the time and they're getting bombarded with these messages apparently so like it's not the same as in the kook that would have some stories about whatever you know it's all the time relentlessly on every app it's not even just like facebook it's not like oh if i just leave facebook it'll be fine cuz twitter and instagram are much better so wherever you go or even uh like you know right. reddit or what have you. But I, I mean, somebody was kind of hypothesizing like, what if 
social media was around when the polio vaccine was coming was was around you know like when it first came because apparently vaccines weren't that good back then there was a lot of adverse effects you know not all of them worked very well and there are a few rough batches so like if you had 24 hour social media this sort of coverage a few like bad actors just asking questions you know sewing down into the whole thing would the uptake have been whatever you know what it was like i'm not sure because i don't think people are that much different generation to generation yeah but it's not just social media it's a and maybe and certainly social media has played a role in in the question of how much trust we have in our broader institutions right uh but the the amount of institutional buy-in in the 50s and 60s was way higher than it is now i don't think because people knew less i don't know maybe just like for some reason the opposite has happened the more people have access to information the worse decision making their brains have become it's like maybe it's like too much information and they can't separate actual you know sound information versus just some whack kadoodle stuff like maybe we just can't process it let any fucking random assholes with an internet connection create their own uh, news podcast type situation right. and just blast it out <laughs> into the universe. I don't know. I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but here we are. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Just a font of constantly reliable and never false information is what this podcast is. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Or you can just head over to brainiron.com or castironbrains.com. Email the show, brainironpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can check out the show note for links to things that we have discussed. And we will get a small percentage of this any sales that you do over uh, by kick, clicking on our Amazon links. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. I don't know what uh, my reduced news consumption in the last few weeks means for the future of the podcast. Anyway, we never got your review of Furious 9 or Fast 9. Uh, How was that film, Abe? It wasn't a very good movie. By the way, I think I'm going to end up watching seven movies in the month of July in the theaters. I'm already like at four. And I'm going to watch an M. Night Shyamalan movie later this week. Uh, The Oldening? You're going to go see The Oldening? I think it's just old, but sure, yes. It's called old, but it's it's The Oldening. It's like The Happening, but old. (laughs) Anyways, it may come as a surprise to you, Bob and Lori, but um, F9 was not a very good movie. It was a I'm not really into cars, even though I'm up to nine of these fucking movies that I've seen, but like it's like they're superheroes, literally superheroes right. doing stupid things. It was not a very good movie, but you know, it's fun. Packed was it audience? To be was, good? It, was it a fun experience? No, at least? I, so I think uh, F9 was the last movie where they still had uh, empty seats in between. Oh, like spaced out seating? Right. Yeah, yeah. Since then, it's basically just all of it is available. And I think Black Widow, which is a movie that I also saw, was the most I've ever seen. We're basically, it was this pack, like how it used to be, just the whole thing. How was Black Widow? It was, yeah, Black Widow. I don't like, I, I think. Do we I, make any, 
We don't we don't make good movies, right? Like that's just sort of the rule now. Is but the problem there is there aren't very many good movies. It's kind of this weird thing where uh, this I was telling somebody same thing with in sports. It's like people say they want like original movies and not none of this these franchises and, and reboots and sequels. But those are the only movies that do well financially. Just like when. A lot of people always say, I'm tired of, of LeBron in the finals at all times or Golden State. In the, and then it's like some two random teams get to the finals. and like, oh, fuck it. This is boring. Like, so you have to give room yeah. for yeah, new I, things. So I reject, I, reject, I reject that argument entirely. Right. This, and I'll tell you why. And it's The because ratings is not so hot and Black if, Widow does well because people know it. Like, Sure. Black, Black Widow makes a lot of money yeah. because, it's, because it's fucking easy. It's the same reason that there are a billion... Waffle houses in the South. It's the same reason that when you're on a long road trip, you look for a Chick Fil A or you look for a McDonald's right. to go into. And it's, it's a known because product. It, you just go to what's easy. Yeah, and what you right. know. I, if I'm driving, if I'm driving up and down the Eastern Seaboard for most of the summer, I'm not, and and I don't live in any of these places along the way. Right. If I lived in Asheville, I would know which restaurant that I would want to go to that was an interesting experience and. Uh, it would become one of my favorites or whatever. But if I'm just driving through Asheville, then I'm just going to look for a familiar sign on the side of the highway. Right. Publix. Right. I'm, I'm going to go to Publix and get a Publix sub because yeah. I know in my experience that every Publix I've gone to, I've gotten a reliably good Publix sub. Right. Applying that mindset, applying what is ultimately just the franchise mindset, and whether that's movies or it's fucking fast food restaurants or whatever, to the entire culture is a disaster <laughs> for the culture, right? Fast and the Furious food? Is there something there? Is there a Fast and the Furious food? Speaking of which, we went to uh, McDonald's. We stopped at McDonald's on the way home from our uh, Greenville trip. We were like an hour and a half away from home, and it was already like... Five. We were we were thirty minutes away from sure. home. So it was it, <laughs> it was it was amazing to stop at a fast food restaurant so close to home. We were like an hour out, but it was a weird time. So if we had if we had powered through, we would have gotten home at seven thirty, but without any food. Yeah, because we'd emptied out the house. The fridge was empty when we left. So you get home already past dinner time and with no food like it's a it was just bad timing so we're an hour out i see the mcdonald's stop at the mcdonald's this is a chicken sandwich review section of the podcast <laughs> uh, mcdonald's has new chicken sandwiches uh i was able to acquire their new spicy chicken chick-fil-a ripoff attempt do they have a name for it uh, i forget what they're calling it okay it's the new chicken Google sandwich. Google Maps says we were 30 minutes away. Whatever. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> really pedanticing again <laughs> fucking five minutes later? You over. You said hour and a half. I said 30 minutes. You said an hour. So it's not my fault that you're trying to insist that I don't remember again I'm what happened. I'm not insisting anything. I'm suggesting we were closer to home than ordinarily you would stop for dinner that's okay. all i was suggesting okay we also weren't in town yet because that's the worst possible answer is to get all the way back to town and be like well now i gotta drive across town to mcdonald's i guess if we're gonna eat anything for dinner no you because stop we're boycotting the burger king on the highway right and we're obviously cannot stop at a fucking burger king <laughs> not acceptable <laughs> But McDonald's had their new chicken sandwich. I tried the new spicy chicken from McDonald's as a sort of dry patty, as a, 
unfortunate experience. I I do not recommend. No, not no endorsed good. Wow. by by cast iron brains, especially when compared to the superior product at Chick Fil A, or or Popeyes. Anyway, the point I think that I was talking about is that that is that the, the franchise model is no way of doing culture writ large. It's a perfectly like acceptable part of the culture for it to exist. But what do you mean by culture? Fine, Each bi- studio. We're talking about the movies, right? They're, they're all trying to make money, and when they're getting funding for the movies from producers or whomever, they're like, I want, you know, bankable stars, a known intellectual property name, and let's go, you know? They don't want, like, some original yeah, the, that's what star. I'm saying is the, the, franchise, the franchise model leads to cultural death. Right. Because all you're concerned with is eking, e- eking out a profit that – so, so you put out 25 fucking Marvel movies over the course of a decade, and you know that you're going to make your return. And that's all the, all the question is, is how much of a profit return are you going to make on those? And what that should do is that should hold up the other arms of your studio to right. go out and do more interesting and culturally relevant uh, artistic works but instead disney goes out and buys 20th century fox and buys star wars yes. and has marvel and all the other fucking ip that they've uh, swallowed up and now it's just this behemoth that is only concerned with pumping out franchise shit after franchise shit right no way to run a railroad but as they say um I, some have argued that the, the, what used to be like mid-budget movies that aren't made anymore are now basically just like six-episode miniseries on they HBO are. Max That's or whatever. That's exactly so what happened. So it's like you kind of get both of the things. If you if you go to the theater, you're gonna watch a lot of garbage like I do. Um, and if you want something good, you know, watch HBO or whatever. Hey, television mostly fucking sucks too. Name me something that you watched in the last couple of years that was actually really. There are really a lot of good, good. things on. Like uh, really good. Ah, really good. That's a pretty high bar, Bob. I'm sure there's. If you give me advance notice, by next week I will write down all of the good things. I'm what you know, whatever HBO show. The only thing you ever say is it was it was fine or it was pretty good. (laughs) And unless we're talking about The West Wing, that's the highest (laughs) praise that you have for anything. (laughs) And you know why? It's because everything sucks now, eh? and you just refuse to admit it. I ended up watching all of The Mayor of Easttown, and that was fine. This White Lotus looks promising. You know, there's shows. Oh, yeah, it was fine, wasn't it? Mayor of Easttown was was indeed fine. Queen's Gambit was indeed fine. I didn't watch that, but not the whole thing. Oh, you'll like it. It's good. With the the chess and the drugs, right? Yeah. No, no, but it's it's good. How many of them were better than any of the top ten movies from the year, like fucking two thousand seven or two thousand nine? Even even shitty years in in the cultural memory. Twenty times. I know. That's what you do. (laughs) But it's it's not going to be any different. Whenever I come across a good movie in the theater, Bob, I'll let you know. I haven't gone there yet. I was watching There Will Be Blood before bed the other night, and I was thinking, I sincerely don't think that outside of like other Paul Thomas Anderson movies, there have been movies, or, or Coen Brothers, like there's like three people who make interesting movies anymore, and that's it. That's the end. I'm sure there's you more. You also just don't watch a lot of movies. It's true. So like it's not a I, fair sample size. I, I watched uh, Unhinged with a very fat Russell Crowe, and that was not a good movie. He was like unhinged, yeah. like road rage and shit. Very crazy guy. 
It's the problem of like democratizing the Oscars where they want to have like they want popular so they want people to watch the fucking Oscars so they they expand the categories and they give awards to bullshit Marvel movies and whatnot instead of like insisting that actually here are very good cultural products it's like this this idea that yeah. because we want the Oscars to be highly fucking rated and relevant then they've ac- all they've actually done is just watered down the the product Actually that is a good point I why do they care about Oscar ratings it might as well just be like a lost leader. Like if they just focused on just these are the good stuff, even if they get like five million viewers. Yeah. What What matters is whether or not ABC gets thirty five million yeah. people to watch the fucking Oscars. Like, how does that <laughs> fucking matter at all? <laughs> anyway, I've been going here for quite some time. I didn't get to any of the links that you had put in the show note, and Typical. I had a long list of links to talk about, and I don't think I talked about any of them. Well, then they probably weren't very important, were they? I do. I've So for like two months now, I've been wanting to talk about Hunter Biden and his shitty art sale. And I just want to get that on the record. <laughs> that like, I'm not ignoring the shittiness of the Biden administration when it comes to weird ethics stuff. It's just like, I just don't fucking care. Right. Like it's, it's gross. It's bad. Hunter Biden should not be selling his art for half a million dollars. I know that's his kid and he loves yeah, them I and all that stuff, that. but my God, that fucking kid. Is there any doubt that the worst Bidens survived? Like out of <laughs> like you, so there's a lot of tragedy Stop in the family. It. It's time for bed. Abe, hey, you uh, got anything else for us tonight? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you don't. No more. Come on, riff on Hunter Biden a bit. I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. We'll talk to you next time. Later. I think I'll say. Uh, <laughs> remember uh, my unfortunate experience with the locker um, returning an Amazon yes. product. So I follow up by going to an actual like UPS place. They accept products. And the experience was so smooth. I just gave them the box, and they gave me like this yeah. receipt, and they're right. like, "Have a good day." And just the just the product, like not you didn't even yeah. have to put it in a shipment, right? Yeah. And in my head, I, I felt really old, but like I'm never dealing with lockers again. It's what I told myself while I'm riding my bike yeah. back home. Because I was like, "Why did I go through all of that when I could yeah, just?" Yeah. Why? Like UPS is great. Yeah, but it was just like so simple. It's amazing why am I that Amazon this? is. So it's terrible, obviously. Like, like yeah. putting aside the fact that it is obviously terrible that Amazon is such a fucking behemoth that you can go to the UPS store <laughs> and they just, they just have a section of the UPS store that's like, yep, all this shit's going back to Amazon yeah. this week. No need for you to box it up. Yeah. We're just gonna put it on the fucking truck. Yeah. Like that's a disaster. Yeah. Uh, in in every possible way, except for the end user experience, which is fucking amazing. Right. So that like. Amazon is such a behemoth that not only are they like, uh, no, just fucking keep it. Don't bother returning it because, like, it's too much of a hassle. So, like, just do us a favor and, and throw it away or whatever. <laughs> they uh, told me like that that's, the, that's, the, one of the chargers, they just say like keep that. one of them. I like it didn't yeah, even work. Just, but okay. like, that's keep right. That's what they did. <laughs> they they sent me the wrong. Like I accidentally ordered the wrong size yeah, no, air filter years fault. ago. It it's was not my even fault. like it was their fault. I no. accidentally ordered the wrong size air filter for one one of our fans, and and they're like, "No, just keep it. It's fine." I was like, "What do you mean, keep it?" They're like, "No, just keep it." Like, "No, I want to send it back." No, nope. keep it. And you know what I did? Like uh, a year ago now, is I ordered 
a whole fucking fan to fit to the fit. filter that they <laughs> had me keep <laughs> from <laughs> years ago. I'm not going to buy a new phone to fit this charger. <laughs> we'll see. Long game. pedantry in this house between the eight-year-old and me we need Lori to become a fucking pedantic actually i've always an, been that and actually stop meme stop i've always been that <laughs> yes Lori takes, actually Lori takes great pleasure in pointing out the ways that my grand broad pronouncements are specifically and minutely wrong in no, specific instances the problem in is i have instances. a memory for things and i remember a thing and you're like no nah, that didn't fucking happen like okay it did, but that's all right.